And they, at first, might seem like they can't both be true. But so oftentimes what we find out is that maybe our way of looking at it wasn't quite right. And they can both be true. Well, this balanced belief that we're looking at today, uh, I will tell you, it's a little bit of a challenging one, maybe a difficult one. Because we are going to be looking at sin and righteousness. But, you know, all of us, of course, we know that our sin, that it can cause us many spiritual problems. But did you know that your righteousness can do the same type of thing, or at least a similar type thing? Now, I know that sounds strange at first, but I just ask that you hear me out and that we look at this. And, and we are eventually going to be getting to this parable um, that uh, is oftentimes called the, the parable of the prodigal son um, or the lost son from Luke chapter 15. But before we get there, I want us to kind of look at a few other passages to sort of help prepare us to look at that parable from Jesus. Now, I want to state this, and I think it's very important that we kind of uh, look at this first, too. And I guess this is kind of a little bit of another balanced belief within this lesson, too. That'll make a little sense as we go. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he actually writes something in verses 38 through 39. And he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, do you believe that? I mean, think about that. What this statement is really making that, I mean, yes, he lists all these different things, but I mean, ultimately, I believe what he's saying is nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So on the one hand, we do have this, that the Apostle Paul, and you know, I believe him to, to be accurate in this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, our Lord himself said this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So how can it be that nothing can separate us from the love of God and the love of Christ? 
But yet Jesus tells us there's only going to be a few who enter into that road and, and stay on that road that leads to life. How can those two things be true at the same time? Well, I think this lesson helps us to look a little bit closer about what our sin and our righteousness and kind of the connection between uh, those two things. In this passage, of course, I believe that Jesus was accurate whenever he said that, that uh, only a few people are going to be able to find that road and stay on that road that leads to life. However, I also believe that what Paul said is true, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So how can these things be true? I think the way that they can be true is that God loves us so much that he gave us a choice. He allows us to be able to decide whether or not we walk on this road, whether or not we follow Jesus Christ, and if we want to be a part of the family of God. He gives us that choice, and that's what, we're, what we'll look at with that parable. But once again, I want to throw one more passage out at you to, to kind of uh, get us to see all these things together, and I think these passages uh, help prepare us for looking at that parable. But the next passage actually comes from the Old Testament, and it's kind of a strange passage. I'll just tell you that uh, up front. It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, we probably don't really talk about Ecclesiastes all that much. It's kind of difficult. Um, we, we definitely look at it as a book that it's filled with wisdom, but it's kind of life under the sun, so to speak. It's, it's sort of how we see things in, in the world, and really, uh, throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, there's so many things that he talks about that he says, look, I've seen these things in the world. They don't make sense to me. They're just, they're weird. Well, this is one of the things that he observes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. And then in verse 20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Okay, so as we look at this passage, like I said, it can be kind of confusing, especially when you look at verses 16 and 17, because he's saying, don't be over-righteous. Okay, we always think about righteousness being a good thing, and it is. But what he's saying here is, is you know, don't be this over-righteous. Don't be over-wise, even though all that he's striving for is talking about being wise. But then he also says in verse 17, don't be over-wicked. And, you know, don't be a fool and then die before your time. He says that we need to understand these, these two things together. Don't be over-righteous, but don't be over-wicked either. And here in verse 20, that's why I kind of combine this thought too that he definitely tells us that there's no one on earth who is righteous. And there, there's no one who always does what's right and who never sins. Now, we, of course, know that, that uh, uh, a while after uh, this was written here in Ecclesiastes, that Jesus did walk this earth. And Jesus, yes, he was the only one, the only human being who is truly righteous and who truly never sinned. But we are told as human beings, though the ones who aren't righteous, not in and of ourselves, and the ones who we oftentimes do sin. We're told to not seek to be over-righteous, but also not over-wicked. So what is this all leading to? This all is helping to prepare us for this parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son. 
And I think that, you know, we oftentimes kind of focus on one son, but today I want us to look at both sons. I think both of them are so important to, to better understand the parable that Jesus is teaching. In Luke chapter 15, let's just dive into this story together and then we'll, we'll slow down at, at different parts to take notice of some things. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. Jesus has already told the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Now he comes to the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, this is oftentimes kind of about as far as we really take this parable and about as far as we really get. We know that there's more to the parable, okay? But this is usually the heart of what we look at, is this right here, verses 11 through 20. And we say, look at this love that the father had. And by the way, uh, let me just kind of say all these things. This father in the parable, of course, would represent our heavenly father. And here this son, really both sons, they represent the family of God. I mean, quite literally, it would be the, the family. They are the, the sons and, and daughters of, of God. They are a representative of those. We see this first one, this younger son. What does he choose? He chooses this life of sin. He chooses to take what his father has given him and he wastes it. And that's what many people do choose. And this is where we, we come and we see that, yes, our sin can separate us from God. If we allow it to. Now, our sin doesn't have that much power, okay? Our sin does not have the power to separate us from the love of God. That's what Paul was saying before. However, because God's love for us, he gives us an option. He gives us the option of to whether or not to, to love him back, uh, whether or not we, we follow God. And here this son, he chose to turn his back on God, and he, cho he chose a different pathway. But then he was ready to come back. And whenever he was ready to come back, he was rehearsing this speech. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But there's still a little bit more. This son, this younger son, he represents the person whose sin has caused a separation, a divide in his relationship, a separation from the family of God. But there's still more. Verses 21 through 24. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Okay, so this passage, what we see is the son, he recognizes that he has sinned. 
And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Our sin can do that with our relationship between us and our heavenly father, if we allow it to. And that's what the son was doing. He was allowing his sin to separate him. But what does the father say? The father in verse 22, he, he just kind of doesn't even address what the son is saying at first. He just gives all these orders to start celebrating. And he says that, you know, this son of mine in verse 24 was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. The son, he recognized that he had sinned. And he thought that that was going to separate him from the love of his father. He thought that that was going to make him no longer worthy to be called a son of his father. But his father told him that's not true. That's not the way that it is at all. He says, this son of mine is dead and is alive. He was lost. He's found. Let's celebrate. That's what the father wants. That's what the apostle Paul was writing about whenever he said that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, that right there is the love of God. Recognizing, yes, we have sinned, but you know what? The power of our sin doesn't compare to the power of the cross that Jesus died on to forgive us of that sin. That's why celebration can happen. Now, of course, if God just kind of just said, okay, well, it's no big deal. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't really deal with the sin problem that we have that separates us. But that's not how God responds. Okay, God responded by sending his son, Jesus. And because of that, we can have life. We don't have to be like this son and say, I've sinned and I can't even be a son of God any longer. No, we need to recognize that, yeah, there might be a time whenever this son was lost, but then he was found. It's time to celebrate. It's a great story right there. And we know that, yes, you know, our, our sin can cause us spiritual problems, but God's love is greater. But there's still more about this story because we haven't addressed righteousness yet, have we? Now let's address that because there's another son. Verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. So now we see this other son. How does this other son respond? Verses 28 through 32. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now we see the second son. We see this this brother, the older brother. How does he respond? Well, what's his story? His story is found in verse 29. And he just explains to his father, you know, he, he's, he's upset about this whole thing. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Okay. That kind of looks a little weird anyways, doesn't it? Because this, his father doesn't seem like the type of person who is, who would, uh, you know, have his son slaving for him all these years. But that's how they, the older brother portrays it. 
He says, all these years I've slaved for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. This guy seems to be very righteous. So uh, because of his righteousness, actually, he, he has a problem with these things because he says, look, I've always done everything I'm supposed to be doing. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. He's upset in verse 30. He's upset about how the younger son is treated because the younger son is treated well, very well. He's upset because God has mercy. God is very merciful. And there's a big lesson that we need to learn from this son. This son views himself as being righteous. He views, of course, the younger brother as, as, a, as not being righteous, as being a, a sinner. But because this older brother he views himself as being righteous. He's actually caused a separation between him and the family of God. He won't go in and be with him. He won't celebrate because he's upset. He's always done everything he's supposed to do. And this is how he gets repaid. Doesn't make sense to him. But the father tells him, that's not right. What you're saying isn't right. That's why he says in verse 32, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's the message that the father gives to this son. So what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But God's love gives us a choice as to whether or not we love him back. Whenever we have that choice, we see that there's pathways that we can take. We can either take the road that leads to life or we can take the road that leads to destruction. And we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, not to be overly wicked, makes sense, but don't be overly righteous either. I think that that righteousness that the Ecclesiastes writer is talking about and the righteousness that this older brother claims to have, I think that's more of like self-righteousness, what we would call self-righteousness. And that means, yeah, it sounds great and we think that we're doing great, but really, just like Ecclesiastes said, no one is righteous. That's actually something that we see several times in the New Testament. And really, that can be almost a little discouraging. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't come across the same way to you. But, you know, we read all these times and we're like, no one's righteous and, and all these things. That can kind of be discouraging. But it can be encouraging because of the response of the love of God. The response of the love of God is that he sent Jesus to this earth. And that, that Jesus, he, he died in our place. He was righteous. And he asks us to follow him, to follow him on this pathway, this narrow pathway that leads to life. This parable of the lost son, I think, is a parable of the lost sons. You have one who his sin caused him problems, caused him to feel separated from the family of God. But this other son, his righteousness is what caused him to feel separated. And I want you to think about your, your own life, because I would say that that, you know, Christians can be like these, these sons in this parable. You know, some Christians might have come from a background that, that they were lost and they were, they, they were lost in sin. But now they've turned to the family of God. And it's wonderful. It's a reason to celebrate. But then we also have some Christians who always have been kind of part of the family of God. And if they aren't careful... What can happen in that situation is they can let their, their seemingly righteousness separate them and drive them away from the family of God. Let's make sure that we learn from these examples. 
Let, let's see uh, about, you know, what, what happens here. And by the way, I'll point this out with the parable. You know, we don't actually get the ending of this parable. I mean, the, the father says some great things to the son, but does the older brother come in and finally become part of the family? What about that younger son? You know, that younger son, we, we read that, that they celebrated. But what happened after that? Did he choose to remain a part of the family of God? Did he choose to, to come back and to be reunited with his, with his father? I mean, you know, technically we can, we can kind of guess that that's what happened. Uh, but, you know, it is kind of left a little open with, with both brothers, with, with both of these sons here. And I think the reason why it's left open is because we are the ones who are these sons. And how we respond depends on us. No matter what our background might be, if, if it was our sin that caused us problems or if it was our righteousness that caused us problems. Are we going to choose to be part of the family of God now? That choice is ours. Nothing can separate us. Nothing in all creation has that type of power. Separate us from the love of God. But will we choose to embrace that love of God? Will we choose to embrace the mercy of God? Will we choose, will we choose to embrace the family of God? Now, that choice is up to us. Turn to